Welcome to episode 233 of the No Proscenium Podcast, the voice of everything immersive. I'm your host, Noah Nelson, coming to you from the No Pro Studio, a.k.a. a very sunny kitchen table here in Los Angeles. This week on the show, we have Mr. and Mischief. That would be Jeff and Andy Crocker, the creators of Escape from Gatto, uh, amongst other things. Uh, we're going to be talking to them today. Uh, I'm really excited about this because Escape from Gatto is one of my favorite things from the past couple of years. And it is one of the uh, main course offerings in the pilot festival at the Here Summit and Festival, which will be here, well, over in Pasadena. <laughs> Los Angeles and Pasadena are not exactly the same. Um, Over in Pasadena, March 27th through 29th of this year, uh, badges are still on sale. Uh, We've had lots of people have registered and we've still got badges for sale. So if you've been been waiting, uh, now is a really good time because we're reaching that point where more enough people have asked that if everyone buys and then you come up and say, can I have one? Um, You will not. So buy now before it's too late. Don't be one of those people who like says, oh, cool, I'll get this like a week before. Eh, it ain't going to work that way. Just it's it's not. Um, we are about to make a whole lot of announcements. Uh, I'm not doing it on the show because uh, I'm waiting on a couple of um, a couple of things. So you know how it goes like, you know, people say like, how are you going to phrase it? Here's how we want it phrased, et cetera, et cetera. So there's a little bit of language uh, that's going to go out in an email blast later today. I'm recording this Friday morning. And that's going to have, uh, should have some of our keynote speakers and we'll also be announcing, uh, more of the elements of the festival. I'm going to talk about how the festival works on the back end of this, particularly because after you listen, you're like, Oh, I really want to check out Gato. So I'm going to give a, a breakdown. So those of you who listen to the podcast, you'll be in the know and you'll be ready when everything goes out. Um, I am in a chipper mood today. Uh, one, because we really did like close a few things yesterday and I'm getting very excited and I'm about ready to burst to tell you about what's going on. Um, and we also, um, we've also had a, a wonderful, um, resurgence on the, the Patreon. So let me, let me tell you the status of that. As you know, like some credit card shenanigans and I still got to talk to people about that, but that's such a, a depressing chore. I, ha- I keep putting it off, which is bad. Cause like, you know, the Patreon pays my rent. So I should probably not put that off. Um, but uh, we've we've had okay anyway. Blah, Noah, focus. We are now up to three hundred eight backers and eighteen hundred and forty two dollars, uh, which is a massive shift back because we were at like seventeen seventy seven last week. Um, one of you has gone and uh, upped your pledge uh, to a sustaining backer. Um, we always announce sustaining backers after the first full month, uh, just just making sure everything's cool, uh, that there's no there's nothing weird going on. Uh, but I'm very very grateful uh, that someone stepped up, and I also I also like to call them and say like, so did you do this on purpose? What's going on? So uh, you know who you are, and uh, uh, I'm going to be hitting you up on the Patreon email and saying like, let's talk, because uh, I just I like to make sure that that folks you know can do this. I look at that amount of money and I'm like, oh my God, oh my God. Oh, anyway, I'm not gonna, wow. That's for like two of you. 
congratulations, Jay. Uh, there you go. That's my present to you. Um, so I'm not going to explain. I'm not going to explain. We're just going to keep on going. Uh, up to 308 and 1842. Uh, we're, I think we're down just $5 from our high, uh, which I think hit at like 1847. So uh, that's, that's really exciting. We have a long way to go um, before this is truly sustainable. And, um, and, and we've, it's, it's funky to be like raising money for this and, and raising money for the, the summit and the festival at the same time. And, uh, I just have to keep reminding myself that, um, we're, we're doing solid work and, uh, uh, we should be able to survive while doing it. So hmm, there, um, <laughs> this planet, man, it's, it's funky, but let's talk about the people, uh, who joined up this time. Steph Perita, Lee Cardenas, Laura Hess, thank you all for joining this 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 crusade of ours, uh, and John McGaffey and uh, Brittany uh, both up their pledges um, this time out, and again, so very thankful. Um, our survival is linked to this, and this just this powers us forward, helps us keep on going, and get excited about what we can bring to you. Um, little, little notes on things. Um, you know, uh, EI this week will come out tomorrow. I'm going to be, uh, in Park City next week because Sundance is graciously pulling me out to be on a, uh, a panel over there. Uh, so that's going to be, uh, Thursday, the 30th at noon at, uh, the new frontier space at the Ray. If my memory serves, it's not at central, but I believe it's at the Ray. I'm not, as usual, not looking at notes. Uh, welcome to bio digital theater is the panel. Uh, I'm very excited to meet my panelists. I'm very excited to see their work. If you are one of the 10 people <laughs> at Sundance that listen to the show and you hear this, hit me up. Uh, so that would be Landon and Rachel Walker. So uh, anyway, so I hope to see you guys there uh, and uh, and trade notes on, on New Frontier. And Will uh, Will Cherry is going to be uh, our our, our um, XR correspondent. He's going to be running around Sundance um, on under his own power. And uh, I want to see if we can get him into the New Frontier Central. Uh, I gotta I gotta try and pull some strings on that uh, and see what can be done. Um, I'm just I'm just stoked for what's coming down the line here with uh, the Summit End Festival. Now, um, you can you can check all that out after we do the announcements. If you haven't signed up to the Here uh, newsletter, which is where that news goes out first, go to herefest.com and uh, sign up for our our newsletter. Sign up for the alerts, and you'll be among the first to know. I'm gonna do. I have to sneeze. I think. I, uh, uh, okay, I fought it back. Anyway, I'm gonna sneeze in a minute. But right now, let's just set up this interview. Mr. and Mischief, Jeff and Andy Crocker, uh, two of the most lovely people you will meet. Um, they made the amazing Escape from Gatto, which uh, showed up at the uh, Hollywood Fringe a couple of years ago uh, and did something like no one ever does. They like bought out a theater for the day and just ran it straight through. And it was incredible. Uh, everyone, uh, if you were sitting in the three clubs that day waiting on a show, you know, you had everybody in the community coming up and saying, have you seen this yet? Um, I remember like Russell was that way. And I think I, I think Mike Fontaine maybe had seen it before. Like like maybe you saw it afterwards. Can't remember. But like everyone was coming up. Uh, uh, just absolutely everybody. And Lauren Bellow, I think, had, had seen it and was just like over the moon. Um, like, I think some people were almost like shell shocked about how good it was. And I was like, mm, really, really? What's everyone like? Really? And oh, just it is some 
it's sublime. It's sublime. It's gone on since it's been at IndieCade. It's uh, been, Landon took it to the Denver Film Festival. And I am so very glad that we get to present it to a select portion of the audience at here. Again, I'll explain how that's going to work on the back end. Um, uh, just to get this thing, uh, get this thing seen by folks who wouldn't have a chance to see it otherwise because it hasn't traveled near them or folks who have missed out or folks who are just like, you know, kind of uninitiated into the live side of immersive. Uh, it, it means just the absolute world to me. Um, and what's really fun is on the Sunday of the summit, we're going to do a special version of it where uh, it's usually just eight people and it's played um, uh, without an audience of any kind. But on Sunday, we're going to get eight folks who haven't played it, who are, who are down to be observed, and then we're going to do a workshop session. So the people will be in the audience. We've got a 99-seat theater, so we'll, we'll have some portion of that filled up with people watching it. And then Jeff and Andy are going to do a director's commentary afterwards and kind of break down the design process and kind of how they how they came up with the different puzzles and how they came up uh you know what what the challenges are and where some of the, like the, the bottlenecks in the show are for people uh this is our this is a, an experiment in doing uh kind of a live director's commentary uh, on a piece and, and just a way to like uh let people do like a, a in action postmortem, uh, we never tried anything like this before, but um, I think it's something unique to our form that we could do. So we're gonna try to do it, uh, and that's the kind of thing that I get excited about when it comes to doing uh, the Summit and Festival. So again, just one last little plug there: herefest.com. Sign up for the newsletter, uh, uh, register if you're if you're interested, uh, and and pick up those badges because. Um, what I don't want to do, because I'm tearing my hair out right now, being like, oh, because like there's like 70 people who've like I want, and then like, boop, boop. Um, pick them up because uh, come like March 5th, people are gonna be like, oh, I want one, and like, there you, you had your chance, so get them while you can. All right. On that note, um, and I don't have to sneeze at all anymore. On that note, <laughs> let's run this interview with Jeff and Andy Crocker, Mister and Miss Jeff. As I always tell everybody, this is just a conversation. As you can tell from listening to the podcast, like it just meanders like crazy. You can see I have no notes in front of me. I've only got my brain, uh, which is which is this pile of mostly Star Wars trivia. Um, so here we go. Andy, Jeff, thank you for letting us record in your in-law unit, B&B? Sure, that's a fair Airbnb. Yeah. It's an Airbnb uh, yeah. available most days if you're interested in uh, staying. It's a great rate in a great spot in Los Angeles. <laughs> no proscenium. Uh, we could easily be sponsored by Airbnb. Airbnb, if you're listening, you have lots of money and I don't. Um, so there you go. <laughs> I feel like if Airbnb was had a little um, thing that where you could... Rent out apartments for shows. I feel like a little upcharge for insurance. That'd be a great business. They they are in the experiences business. They are in the experiences. They like business. to they like to frame themselves that way. Um, Thanks for tuning in to the Airbnb podcast. Yes. <laughs> Watch in six months. We be. I mean, that would actually be great. Like, that would solve every problem we have for the most part. Um, 
Yeah. So, okay, cool. Let's, let's gather the energy. All right. Okay. We're going to manifest this. So we are in Los Angeles. We do these sorts of things. We're on this side of town. Um, Mr. and Mischief, uh, who I have in front of me, uh, this way and that way, uh, you are best known for, and I'm not going to butcher the name because I usually say it wrong and I've said it wrong my entire academic career. You are best known for Escape from Gatto, which uh, is not... Uh, an adaptation of Waiting for Godot because that's not something that gets done. Correct. It's impossible. No one would ever do anything like that. It is very illegal and we would never do anything. Or condone anyone. Or condone it. it. Don't do it. Yeah, don't. No, very bad. Uh, It first popped up at the Hollywood Fringe uh, a couple years ago now. Two years ago. 2017? Yeah. No, wait. 2018? What? 2018. 2018. Father's Day 2018. Father's Day 2018. Uh, and had a run in Denver this past uh, November as part of the uh, Denver Film Festival. That's right. Um, for those who don't know the show, uh, how would you describe? <laughs> they both look terrified. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> You'd think we'd have this down by now. <laughs> oh, well, I should. This, I should this also. Is everyone's like first podcast. <laughs> I also would say. Um, we also had a run in March. We had a month long. So if oh, you're, that's fe- right. yeah. Oh, so and at Indicate, and yeah. at Indicate, and then like random pop ups. Like we've been kind of doing it on and off in little fits and spurts and, since. And I'm very happy. Like, we're, we're, and one of the reasons I'm talking to you right now is like we're gonna be we're gonna do a, a, a very short pop up uh, that that some portion of the Here Summit uh, audience will get to see. Like, not everybody. Sorry, everybody. Not everybody. I wish. But a portion of the of the crowd there will get a chance to see it. Exclusive experience. Exclusives. We are very excited about it. Yeah, that's actually I'm really really, and that'll that'll be in Pasadena in March. So, but yeah, so now they've had time to think about what is this show that you keep on doing. <laughs> Escape from Gato is a oh my god, I said it wrong. That's hilarious. Escape from Gato is a game and a show. The show is the game, and the game is the show. Take it, Jeff. I mean, I think I always describe it as uh, a production of waiting for godot mashed up with uh, an escape room oh yeah. that's good yeah but I'm it gonna... is not a production of waiting for godot but it's not a production of waiting for godot and it is not an escape room really it's this it's just i feel like it's its own unique thing that's just the easiest way to describe it in uh in parlance of our time it's it is a we encourage audience members to play with a play so it is a a production with live actors in a theater space that uh, cannot continue without the assistance of the audience who plays the role of an audience. (laughs) Um, What I, when I got to participate in back at the fringe, uh, I, as you all know, completely loved every second like this from the, from the everyone. What was great about that year was like, you guys did this thing that no one ever did at fringe. And for, and for logistical reasons, it made total sense. You got a theater and you booked it out for the weekend, the full day, the just, full one day, day. just one day, yeah. just one day. And as I was running into people, uh, who you know at, at the, one of the bars nearby who had come out they were raving and saying like oh my god oh my god are, are you doing this are you doing this are you and I was like yeah like I'm I bet like 6 30 like oh my god I won't say anything just like like this massive amount of buzz and uh you know we we cover everything uh at the fringe that seems remotely proper to cover and 
just from minute one when you walk in and you're told what the the scenario you're involved in, I just started laughing maniacally, and I don't <laughs> think I stopped laughing the entire way through. And we we just it, it, to the point where like we went through so quickly, like we could have we could have used more time, but we were just <laughs> having too much. It was like Christmas morning and like tearing open all the presents. Like there's another one where it's like you haven't played with this one yet. Doesn't matter. Another present, right? Like that was that was the vibe of of that run. Um, it was you. Your team was particularly fast. Yeah, just, 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 just. You know, we didn't. Um, how did this idea? And how long did you work on this? Because what's ingenious here is that it is a deconstruction of the play, uh, or of of a play, and <laughs> a very important play. A very important, very, very litigious minded uh, uh, family that controls this play. Um, uh, so it's this deconstruction. It's this meta commentary on on the work itself and yet it's also this beautifully kind of intricate like clockwork of a piece that just when we encountered it felt like it was fully formed uh and just this like boom explosion dropped off and like i was i knew that you guys were interested in in this world because I had like seen you guys online and like talking and, and whatnot, but wasn't familiar at all with your work or knew where you were coming from. So how did you wind up doing this? as like your entree into making immersive things. This is a great question because it's a weird origin story in that it was just the idea made us laugh so hard that we were like, well, we have to do that. Do you want to tell the the pre-story? Yeah, I think the the story goes that um, <clears throat> November of 2017, I believe, uh, our friend Mike Sablone, uh, who runs a theater out in Greenville, South Carolina, um, sent me a text message saying, have you seen this? And it's an escape room on a train that was a a branded experience for murder on the Orient Express. Mm, yeah, yeah. And yeah. I said, that's, and it was 11 hours. It long. was like 11 <laughs> hours long. It was a train ride from one area to the other in Europe. Uh, it sounded great. I was like, it's like $400 or something. I was like, that's amazing. Do you think someone would give us money to do our escape room from waiting for Godot where you have to escape from the show? And we laughed about that. And then uh, later on I showed Andy and we laughed about it together. And then Andy's, uh, after she stopped laughing said, Oh my God, we have to do this. We have to like for really for realsies. We have to, we let's, we got to make it. Yeah. So that was, yeah, December, November, December of 2017. And so it's kind of perfect timing. I can't remember. I know the fringe came up immediately, but it basically ended up being perfect timing for registering for the fringe. Yeah. And we knew we were going to do that. Like it's sort of the perfect place to do it. It's not, you know, if it doesn't come out fully formed, if it's raggedy that, you know, doesn't quite feel right. And we thought, well, no one's going to see it. We thought, yeah, no one's going to see it. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was just good timing to go to the fringe. And the first thing you need to do to register for the Hollywood fringe is have a venue. So then it took us a couple months to haggle with, the venues because as a blessing and a curse, the venue of our show is a theater and everyone's trying to get all the theaters and all the theaters in LA are set up for the fringe as like, no, you get 60 minutes and like 15 minutes of setup and five minutes to break down and that's it. And so, and for an escape room or an immersive piece, both of those things are kind of nightmarish because you know, 
for an escape room, if you're coming into a space that another show just loaded out of and there's like pieces of paper and their props and just like so much noise, like that's terrifying. And also if you want something to feel immersive, you want to create the whole environment. You don't want to just like throw up a piece of paper and call it a set. So our goal was to find a theater that felt like the theater that the fake production took place in our minds. Like we wanted to find a theater that already felt right. Yeah. We didn't want a black box. We didn't want um, a new space. We wanted it to feel like, oh, no, I'm going to a show in a tiny theater in Hollywood. (laughs) I love you theaters in Hollywood. (laughs) Uh, so, but that's often a traumatic experience, particularly a fringe. Uh, I, I think a yeah. lot of people have had. I mean, I think now we're going a little bit out of out of sequence, but I, a lot of people have had that experience of like you're the premise, the sort of outside premise, and this Russian nesting doll of premises that is our show is that you're going to see your friend's production of a very important play, and you are trapped there until it is over. Right. And so we ha- wanted to find a venue that spoke to that without us having to dress it too much. Exactly. We were trying to leverage as much as we could of already existing theater and location, um, you know, whether it be lighting, sound equipment. Like we wanted as much as possible already there, so we only needed to worry about the cast and props and puzzles and stuff. Um, and I think we got lucky. And we, yeah. uh, the everyone with the Fringe... Uh, with the complex, with the OMR where the show premiered, um, they were great, super helpful. Our stage manager Risa did an amazing job uh, getting everything going. Um, and the I... order of events was: we got the venue, we registered for Fringe, and wrote what the general premise was. You posted about it on No Pro. Tickets went on sale. We sold out, and then we wrote the script. <laughs> I don't think that's exactly accurate. We went, oh no! I don't think that's exactly but I mean, accurate. Okay, then we finished the script. Okay, yes. yeah. <laughs> but I mean, we did sell out while we were developing the piece. Well, I mean, I mean yeah. that was, I mean, in twenty seventeen and twenty eighteen weren't that many tickets. Yeah, there weren't that many tickets, and in twenty seventeen and twenty eighteen in particular. Uh, Immersive of the Fringe was incredibly hot ticket. Like yeah. 2019, there was it was a little cooler. Yeah. I mean, so much so that like those, I think in 28 in both those years, uh, we broke the Fringe website. Like Fringe was yeah. not used to the idea that di- there would be day one demand. Like it was not built for that at all. Um, and we we completely altered how you know Ben Hill, you know, structures his website just because of that. And like, I don't think, I don't know if 2020 will have the same, I know 2019, it wasn't quite the same kind of fervor. And some of that had to do with the fact that it got hot enough that a lot of people started saying like, oh, my show's immersive. And then people go, "Eh, no, it's not. And people (laughs) sort of slapping things together. Um, But you guys brought, maybe we can like dial back a bit further and talk about, you know, what your, what your day jobs are and like how you managed to create this thing, which Gets Jeff gets this look on his face. Yeah, this is the problem with Jeff being on podcasts. He makes really amazing facial expressions <laughs> that no one will see. So I'll just describe it. Um, his eyes sort of bugged out of his head. He looked up at the ceiling and was like smiling, but it was the smile of a madman. It's like this thirty-three degree head tilt back. Yes, that's exactly there, yeah. right. Yeah, I it, like sort of anime eyes, almost like glistening. Bit, a little bit, yeah. All to say, I don't know how we did it. <laughs> Well, but like, what's your guys' background? 
Right? Yeah, I mean, like, that's a lot of people it's not, like we came yeah. we came out of nowhere, but not at all because we've right. been working at this for twenty years. Yeah. And, but it, just calling it different things. Do you want to go first? Sure. Um, so no, uh, I come from a traditional theater background. I went to school for directing theater. Where'd you go to school? Uh, UCLA School of Theater, Film, and Television. Go Bruins. It doesn't sound natural when I say go Bruins. <laughs> I never went to a sporting event. Um, so what theater major does? Only the weird ones. <laughs> just, I should have. I, I just regrets. came back from the football game. And you're like, did, what? did you? We have those? <laughs> Why weren't you in rehearsal? <laughs> or like, but we have to wake up early for Tai Chi. Um, so, uh, tai Chi so yes. competitive. <laughs> it's true. Um, so I went to school for theater directing um, and sometime during my schooling, I to supplement and kind of work on my problem sol- solving skills with directing, I started doing improv. Um, and then I was leading this like <clears throat> dual life of like Chekhov by day, wackadoodle improv by night, um, and was starting to get work. Uh, com- and then eventually I was uh, hired on the main company of comedy sports um, while I was still in college, which is no longer a thing, I don't think. I broke it. Um, Wait, like comedy sports in general in LA or com or com- comedy sports LA in- has like a college division, but uh, I went, I was doing professional gigs while I was in college, uh, so I, it was my my sad hustle. Gotcha. So gotcha. and literally, so it'd be like did by day doing super serious theater, and then by night, wacky make em ups. Yeah. Um, and when I got out of college, I did uh, film and TV for a while, and then went to work for Center Theater Group in their casting department for several seasons. And then did TV some more. More than several seasons. Four seasons. Yeah. Um, then was casting for, for for television mostly, and then am I forgetting anything? That's about where we landed. That's about where we where where we I landed. Think you were sort of coming off of casting as we got into more immersive theater stuff. Yeah, and but I, always doing improv the whole time. Always doing improv the whole time. Always directing the whole time. So mm. you know, I would be doing you know. I'd be working in a casting office and then I would either go be teaching improv or directing improv shows or creating unscripted live events. Like at the time, like it was before I knew what to call what I was doing. So I was like constantly sort of grasping at all of these things, trying to find a name for it. Um, So that's brings us up to us. Am I forgetting anything? And Jeff and I have worked together on projects, but never really collaborating in this way. So I would make a short film and Jeff would help with the post or help shoot it or edit it. Um, Jeff would be working on his projects and I would offer my opinion whether or not he asked me to. Yep, checks out. Um, help cast things yeah, for yeah. you. Um, okay, now you go. <laughs> um, I, yeah, come from sort of film and television way back. Uh, sort of been doing that since I was 18. Um working with uh i think when when i was a freshman in college uh i was working on a short film for rob schraub who uh a lot of people know he's a comic artist uh but now he does a lot of television film stuff um so sort of met rob schraub and dan Harmon early on and we were sort of part of channel 101 totally forgot that from the very beginning thank you i didn't um even before it was called channel 101 was the super midnight movie show and Oh, was, well, that was back when it was like on Hollywood Boulevard. Even like, before. before first, that. it was before Rob's that. living room. It oh, okay. used to be Rob's living room. <laughs> okay. And then it was bigger living rooms. And then I think we did one at the Knitting Factory and then Toy on Vine and then Cinespace and just sort of, I think, and now yeah. it's somewhere, it's downtown. It was Cinespace, which I never got to see, but then it was at um, uh, <clears throat> the Independent 
The yes. downtown, downtown independent. I think we were. Is it? I don't. Is it still going? I think it, so. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I did. I did a story on it. Um, must almost ten years ago. Yeah. Okay. And it was. It was the era. Um, right around the era. Uh, oh gosh, it was. It was. It must have been like before or right before Community was happening, right? You know, sure, or just yeah. the beginning of Community. Maybe I can't remember exactly. Um, but it was this era. There was there was this really. I can't remember the same thing. I can't remember the name of it anymore. There was this wonderful anthology show that was happening, and it was like at the time like the longest. It, it would be. Oh, it would go and be like it, the long- I think it was Danny Jelinek's Everything. Yes, oh, yeah, everything. Yeah, that was great. Because yeah. I, because I, I saw everything on Boing Boing, and okay. I was like, "This is amazing!" And I was like, "Where is this? Oh, it's just down here." And so, like, I went down, and I there's there's you can go and like you look look it up there's an NPR story that I did on Channel 101 and it was like it was their, awesome. it was like the second time that they kind of like peaked because like where the Yacht Rock uh, era yeah. was that, like the that fir- was our era yeah that was like the first time it like popped up into the pop culture and then it kind of simmered back wow. down and then everything it, it popped back up again I think right before Yacht Rock all the Lonely Island Boys yeah. yes. came out of it yeah so it's third yeah, yeah third no third it's run. it's yeah. been around in sort of pop culture underground for a long time yeah a lot of, lot of people, a lot of weirdos, all came out of that. Yeah. And we have, we still are friends with a lot of people of that. Oh yeah. Era. I feel like, as you get older, she said as she lifted her crony, bony old person <laughs> finger and waggled it. Uh, as you get older and you look back on all of the things you've done, you see all these like groups of people that you've collected all all along the way. When you've been in LA, your either your whole life or your whole adult life Mm -hmm. you start collecting these communities and as you create your art you have all these pools to pull from yeah i interrupted you we were at channel 101 and us being (coughs) very cool uh yeah it's channel 101 and so right that uh right after college um did film and television for i don't know 15 years maybe did a lot of uh independent documentaries comedy shows i worked on the comedians of comedy with Patton and zach and brian and maria fantastic um and uh made a documentary called super high me that doug benson made which was super size me but with marijuana i I remember i haven't seen it but i remember when it came out yeah that was a fun uh that was a fun experience because it ended up being way more of a cult uh, thing than I think any of us expected it to be. So yeah. people would bring it up for years and years. Hey, I saw you in the credits of Super High Me. Um, like literally, he's in, like, there's a picture yeah, of him. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and then uh, did a lot of then did a lot of makeup effects. Uh, so worked at Stan Winston for oh, wow. a year or so, and uh, AFX, and then uh, went over to Legacy when after Stan passed away. Um, so I've done a lot of that stuff, and uh, then I was hired as the uh, VFX producer for CSI New York, um, and so took that to the end of its run. That was super fun, um, and in the summers, I would go back to Legacy and just do like fiberglass alien ships and stuff, uh, because, I don't know, I love it. I love that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, when CSI New York got canceled, uh, sort of looking for something new to do, um, trying to think of like, what what do I know how to do, which is... At that point, not a lot <laughs> uh, besides like computer graphics and, you know, producing visual effects and um, ended up for like two months at an augmented reality company that these guys started out of their loft next to USC. That was weird. Um, and then uh, f- ended up at a projection mapping company over here in Burbank. 
and they were doing a lot of the the projection mapping shows at the Disney properties. Um, and we would, uh, so I helped produce a lot of the animation. That was sort of the first experience I had with themed entertainment. And when I started that, I was like, oh my gosh, my people. Mm. And it sort of stall started to click like, oh, this is really interesting. Um, something that I always loved about visual effects was that it's never the same. I need that variety. Yeah. And so I loved that, you know, even though you were using different, you know, the same skills all the time, it was always something new. And with the uh, projection mapping, it suddenly went, oh, the shape isn't a box. It can be any shape you can imagine. Uh, that was really, really exciting. Um, did a bunch of shows with them, did a bunch of fireworks spectaculars. Um, and then after I finished there, I ended up where I am now, which is Cinnabar. Um, which is over there by Golden Road. Um, and we are a custom fabrication company. So now back into the workshop world. So building uh, theme park attractions, museum exhibits, uh, art installations, architectural stuff. So you've, you've jumped a lot between sort of bits and atoms. Exactly. Like over and over again. Exactly. I, I just need to pause for a second and just say like, isn't my husband cool? <laughs> he's pretty cool. I yeah. mean, listen, podcast audience, you can't see him, but he's real dreamy and he's talking about all these things he knows how to do and he's like, oh, I didn't really know how to do anything except for like make spaceships and then make a castle be animated and then be awesome. So I just wanted to just take a, a moment. I crave variety. Yeah. But well, not in spouses. <laughs> But not in spouses. Thank you. Here's your money. <laughs> Wait. What does that say about me? <laughs> it's also this little go-to phrase when your daughter hugged you. Here's that money. Here's that money. It's all transactional. So you got you got the idea of doing this, and then and, but you hadn't collaborated collaborated before. So I mean, except was, on like. A wedding, a child, yeah. Yeah. a life. Like, yeah. I feel like. But this is a new mode for you guys as like, creative collaborators that have like a, a shingle name even, right? Exactly, like, yeah. It's like a new phase. Yeah, it's really exciting. I mean, and I, I joke about like building a life together, but it is like each one of the steps of our relationship has in some ways prepared us for all the negotiations of having a business together and doing a creative endeavor. So, um whether it is planning a wedding, which is a very a complicated, a immersive yeah. experience Absolutely. Ex and really stressful because as soon as the event starts, like you really, you're in it, you're, you're the star of the show. Uh, so you can't really control anything. So from like planning a wedding and then, you know, remodeling a house and then like, you know, a fertility journey is like a super collaborative, like crazy process. And, all of these negotiations uh, and every time you survive one of those crazy projects, like I don't think that that it's a coincidence that we work well together because we've had to do way crazier projects than a, an escape room, like creating a human. Yeah. I, I think we both come from a sort of a producer minded asp uh, way of looking at everything, which is all right. What, you know, what are the parameters? What's the, it's the show that's going to be performed. Um, and I think we both know what that is, whether it's, you know, Andy producing and directing, you know, comedy shows, or if I'm doing a short film or something in the past, you know, we sort of know what that's like. And now as we've started to collaborate together, we know which direction someone's coming from. Andy's always sort of going to head up the, you know, directing of the performer stuff. 
I'm always going to look at it, you know, budget schedule, sort of, you know, what what needs to be fabricated kind of thing. Um, and so we sort of know what lanes that, that we're in mm. and uh, we let each other sort of of drive the truck, you know, uh, when, when it's their time to be the pilot. And I would say to that, uh, something that we've learned being together for a very long time. We met in 2002. Yeah. Uh, almost 18 years, almost 18 years. So we've been together a long time. Um, is that Jeff tends to be the realist and I tend to be the fantasiest. Um, and I think that that balance is really critical in that I get Jeff to dream bigger and he gets me to make doable dreams. <laughs> um, yeah. And I think that that push pull is the only way we get things done. Yep. Yeah. I think to go back to when we went to the fringe with escape from Gatto, it was all about, you know, what are we going to need to get this show done and produced and who's going to be there? Um, and I said, okay, it's got to fit in the back of a van, uh, so that we can pull up, unload, set up and unload at the, and strike at the end of the day. It can't, we can't be screwing into the floorboards or into the walls. Like everything that we had to come up with and think about, uh, had to be based on like it, it, in the end, it's still a fringe mentality. And to that end, I think it's been, it's helped us stay lightweight um, and mobile, which I've, we've really liked. So we're able to sort of take the show, whether it's for play tests or for pop-ups, like we had to pop up for the uh, adjudicators for Indicade. Mm-hmm. You know, it, we're, we're pretty nimble, um, you know, for Denver Film Festival, like could all fit on one pallet. And so that keeps the cost down for having to ship it somewhere. Um, because a lot of, a lot of the heavy lifting is all the cast, you know, up, up here in their brains. Um, but everything else needs to just be able to, you know, fit in a trunk on a pallet and get shipped out. It's kind of like Jeff, both as a writer, puzzle designer and producer is like, okay, here are the lines we're coloring in. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, so here are some colors that I've got going. What if I like do a little, doodad over here outside please don't do that okay i will not do that please don't do that okay well i'll color inside lines but what if please don't do that what if i fold the paper okay (laughs) (laughs) and now then then and then show (laughs) and then show um and and those colors that i'm coloring in with like are like i do the primary casting stuff and trying to and getting those performances and keeping those performances in the lines so the show doesn't break yeah you guys built this, you, when you built this, you did two casts, right? You had two casts in rotation? That's right. And well, now we have three. And now we have three. What's, what was the logic there? We didn't want them to die. Uh, we wanted to run the show as much as possible, but we knew that, well, actually, oh, I've, oh, what's this soapbox doing here? Oh, <laughs> oh I can't help it. I'm <laughs> yeah. standing on my soapbox now. It was very deliberate. But, yeah, it was super deliberate. It's, it's. The, what the soapbox or having two casts yes okay um we wanted to be able to run the show as many times as possible so we could make some dollars since it's only eight people at a time we need to run it as much as possible so as many people could see it also we understand that uh we are using what jeff likes to call human software they have a care they are carrying the weight of the show it is mentally extremely taxing to do the show um, and emotionally too, because, and we can get into the tone of the show later, but like, it's an emotional journey for all of them. And we want to take care of them. Also, I have a very 
strong, I have a lot of opinions on how we treat actors. And for me, we will never be able to pay them what they're worth. Even if you are putting, you have, you inherited some money from your crazy uncle and you want to put all your money into the show. Chances are you're still not paying your actors what they're worth. You're still not paying them enough to quit their day jobs. So what can we do to support them in non-monetary ways? Well, we can rehearse it in a way that if if there, someone can't get a babysitter that night, that someone can go in for them. We can take care of them so that after the show is over, their bones aren't broken and they're not mentally, you know, uh, needing therapy. We can take care of them in logistic, emotional, and physical ways if we can't take care of them financially. So that's why at minimum in a town full of actors, you've got to have two. So if they get an Axe Body Spray commercial, they can take that. I never want someone to not make money because they're doing our show. Um, yeah, because we value them so much. And never want that 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 hot fear of guilt when they have to call either of us being like, I, I got a car insurance thing that I have to do. Why did we cast this super old man? Well, I don't think he's going to make it to the end of the show. Car insurance? I don't know what that is. Oh, no. Do you know what a car is? What? Oh, dear. Um, <laughs> I, you know, uh, we don't want them to have to feel it. We want them to know that, hey, I can't do the show, can the other person come step in and help out? And then we'll have that conversation. Getting rid of that guilt cycle and that shame cycle on their side so that they're being upfront and honest from the get-go. Like, I also don't want someone to pretend that they can do a show when they can't. Mm. It drives me insane because I have this, as a director, I'm like allergic to... um, uh, like bad favor balance when I feel like someone's doing me such a huge favor by being in my show that I can't direct it. It just, I can't do my job if I'm just like, Oh my God, thank you for coming to rehearsal. I know you had to give up your waitering job tonight. Like, Oh, could you, would you mind if you cross left instead of right? Like if I'm feeling too neurotic, cause I know that I'm costing them money. I can't do my job. Cause you're thinking about the, the performer as a person, which is, uh, you know, a thing that not everyone does, sadly, right? Like, and but if you're going to have that kind of relationship with your cast, where where you, they trust you and you trust them, and they're treated as a co-collaborator, then you kind of like you have to take that step. And so, uh, I'm always kind of like boggled by folks who take that kind of E. Gordon Craig, like it's just my puppets, yeah. do the thing I want you. It's like I don't. I, I never wanted that when I directed. I never wanted someone to just hit their mark, do it exactly the way I wanted to. Well, maybe at a certain point in college, right? Because you go through that phase. <laughs> you got to like, go through that phase. You got to go through that phase. It's like, let's be honest. It's like someone out there, Michael Fisher might be listening, like, do you remember that time? And I'm like, okay, yes, I remember that time. But you didn't understand. No. <laughs> that was because you were wrong. Right. It's like, it's been 25 years, but we... No, uh, um, our one fight. Um, and <laughs> quarter century on. Um, but you, you, you get you get better work out of folks who feel like they can give more of themselves. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's like, where do you want to invest your energy in having them at every single rehearsal and having their whole lives be dedicated to your show? Or do you want the whole person to be able to show up? And do you want, when you say Mm. like, we're going to do this festival, we can't pay you anything, but it's going to be really fun. Um, we know we paid you for this, like, you know, or like, Hey, do you want to show up? And I don't know what, you know, like today we're going to 
play test something. Do you want to come do this? And, you know, then they're going to say yes, because they, they're part of this team and they know that we take care of them in all the ways that we can, even when it's, because we will never be able to pay them what they're worth. Yeah. And being able to have something like, like, you know, three ranks deep, they can know that them making the, uh, honest, direct and adult decision. Like, I'm sorry, I can't do this one that there is likely someone to back them up. Yeah. And that, that's, because, because we want to give them as many. Because they want to be there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And the other thing I would say is it helps with casting because we were able, especially in the March run, to get people I probably never would, who actually, who would never have been available to us if we hadn't offered them the support of like, if you get a job, we got you covered. Yeah. So like, um, I mean, that's Bill Salyers and Mark Gagliardi who like work all the time. Mark Gagliardi is a series regular on a TV show and he mm. was able to do our show because we knew he, he well, he was in the country, a, but B, yeah. <laughs> if he got work, we had his back. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, one of my dreams always for this, this kind of work is that, you know, if, we, if there's enough of it out in there in the world, it can be that kind of, you know, actual day job for performers as opposed to having to be, you know, the waiting jobs or whatever. And, and to be able to, you know, say like, Oh yeah, like I've got I've got time to go catch that role. Like if we got shows that were like running all the time, and then you'd want to have you know three, four, five, you know, ten people deep. So it's just like oh, I can pick up that shift. I can pick up that shift and yeah. run that character, no problem. Um, and and change that dynamic. I mean, we're probably a decade away from it. <laughs> five years ago, it felt like we were like you know six years away from that, and now it feels like we're ten years away from it. I don't know why it's getting farther away. Um, but, but yeah, like it's, it, I'll watch folks. Sometimes we have too much of a, Hey kids, let's put on a show thing going on in like the LA immersive you know, theater community. And you can just see people like bottom out and burn out because they're like putting it all in burning hot. And then they just like, boom afterwards and get that, that same thing you would do in college where you get that like post show depression. <coughs> and because you, put it all in the field well there's oh there's a certain part of that that is healthy mm. because everyone does it right but then you get to a certain part of your career or awareness that you need to be focused on budget schedule and taking care of humans and i think that that's something that a lot of people I, I don't know. I uh, to be honest, um, if people think about that, but I know that Andy and I had a, a lot of challenges when we were thinking of figuring out how to do our run in March of like venue, like just putting everything into a spreadsheet and running numbers, best case scenario, worst case scenario, like how are we taking care of actors? What are all the costs that we need? Um, how much does a venue cost a week? Like all of that. If it, didn't pencil out, I said to Andy, we can't do it. Mm. And it took us a long time to, to find a place that felt right. A lot of it had to do with like, okay, what, what's feeling? We kept asking the Amitson if we could um, rent their space <laughs> and it just the money did not work out. Mm, um, but, but finding, finding a space that worked, that cost the right amount, that had the right uh, infrastructure already was really important. And then again, running the numbers and, uh, is a is a big thing, and I I I worry that people don't think of their budgets that way. I mean, I'm sure some people do. We also don't 
As my mother likes to say, you never know what goes on you behind closed doors. You don't know what people's relationships are like. You That's don't know true. what people discuss. Where did my mom... My mom is <laughs> like extra New York in that one. Um, sorry, mom. You're not listening to this. Um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Boy, you're going to be surprised when she does. So your daughter's listening. Your mom's listening. Oh, Shirley is super into this yeah. podcast. Um, uh, I had a thing. Oh, this is what I was going to say about that oh also the sort of let's put on a show mentality which i think is critical to like make new work and yeah be bold and i i sometimes get very you know sidebar i get very jealous of sometimes when i see people that are just like yeah i'm just gonna do it and like sometimes i see a show that like i don't love but i'm just like i wish i could just like put something up and not utcher over it forever and just be like yeah this is good enough let's make a show um but the problem with having it all be for funsies is that I think it eliminates a huge portion of the Los Angeles community that can't afford to do that. Mm, yeah. That can't afford to take the time to just do something for funsies, whether it's they can't afford it like financially or just like it's a big risk to be giving your time if you're an outsider, you know, like all of this stuff. And so by, you know, sorry, I broke everything. Um, so it's another way to take care of people and to be able to outreach to different kinds of people, uh, is figuring out the logistics of it and making it airtight so that people can schedule their lives around it so that people can commit to it. Well, and, and outreaching and like expanding beyond the, the community we have and growing it. I mean, oh, yeah. I mean, that's it, it's it's hard in one dimension because we've got it's on my mind a lot. You know, we, we've got some of these artificial constraints in terms of what's going on in the permitting regime and not being able to like get shows to get up to a certain size. And you guys have the advantage of like a show that luckily goes inside of a theater. Right. Yeah. You know, yeah. Like, which is not not a dumb place to be working in this kind of work. Um, but it's definitely limited, you know, what the pool is. And what's nice is like there's the, the pool is getting stronger in internally, but something that keeps an art world alive is like fresh blood, new ideas, new audiences, like all of that stuff like helps expand and, and, you know, encourages creativity and people can just like beg, borrow, steal, you know, steal, you know, taking actors from each other taking ideas like just opening up doors as opposed to when you get like a closed ecosystem and then suddenly it's like oh everything starts to feel the same or you yeah. get like six shows it's like why are these six shows all on this one thing it's because like there was something in the zeitgeist at that time and it's like yeah but like is that really all there is in the world yeah um yes yeah i don't know you know me I, you know the show sometimes i don't have a question i just make a comment <laughs> but uh, i agree yeah um You've done the show a lot now. Um, has that opened up any doors other than touring the show? Have you like it has legitimately changed our lives? Oh, I would say it changed my life. Maybe changed you're you. maybe you're just like meh, life's no, the I, same. Absolutely, but I mean, it definitely changed. <laughs> oh, it's completely changed. It's been yeah. it's transformed me um, because. Hmm, in lots of ways, but I mean, I starting with starting with um, no this all of 2020. I haven't worked in television. No, um, I uh, am now directing and consulting for my job as opposed to casting for my job and then like hiding hiding my creative pursuits 
pause to rejigger my thoughts. Um, when I was working in casting full time and doing improv and immersive and building this show after hours, I felt the need to keep it a secret because especially in television, there's this sort of feeling like this, ha your identity is wrapped in your job and this has to be the only thing you're doing. And the thing it has to be the There's not the only thing you're doing. How could you be the best? And if you're not the best, why did we hire you? It, yeah. Truly. And also just like, it's a casting emergency. Who's going to read the one-line doctor part? You must stay here until 9 p.m. You know, just this sort of uh, non... Uh, there's no difference between an, an emergency and an urgency. Mm. Um, but uh, I felt like I had to pretend that I didn't have this other life. And because Gatto was a success and because people loved it, I got a confidence back in the thing I've been doing for my whole life, putting on shows, mm. and let that balance shift. Then casting was the thing that I just clocked in and out of, and my creative pursuits was more who I was tied to. And then I just stopped doing that one altogether. Coming this April, I lose my insurance. Yeah. But our daughter's going to be okay, probably. <laughs> God, great. Now we're responsible for having people lose their medical insurance. No, I mean, uh, it has, it also like, as a new mom, it was like my life, like the Etch-A-Sketch was shaken and everything was sort of called into question in terms of my priorities and my one of those questions was like who do i want to be for her mm. and am i am i cry um but when people are like how how are you doing a full-time job and having your creative career and raising a kid i'm not doing it in in spite of her i'm doing it because of her mm. and we now have this life where she's being raised with like, you know, every night going to sleep with the dulcet tones of existentialism bleeding through the walls. And yeah, I think we always joke too when we were developing the show, uh, she was one and a half. And so she would fall asleep. And then after she was asleep with her white noise machine, a whole group of actors would show up at the house and put on a show and then leave and she would wake up and she would never know. <laughs> oh my goodness. What a strange child we're raising. But, uh, so how has it changed? Uh... Wait. Is that going to be a problem? No. Okay. I barely noticed it. Uh, so how uh, has so it how changed? So how has it changed my life? It's changed my life profoundly in that in the time I needed the change the most, the time I was reevaluating who I was as a woman, as an artist, as a professional, uh, it was such a clear sign to keep going. Like, oh, right direction, keep going. Um, so, I mean, the world might be falling apart, but this was a great year for me personally. <laughs> Sorry, rest of the universe. Um, that was rambly. Sorry. No, it's 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 good. I. I, I I asked a question and, and I wanted to, I wanted to know, and, and, and now I know, and I, and I know in a way that's not just a simple, like sometimes you set that question up and you, ex and you expect it's like, Oh, well, like this is the project and da 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 and someone in the pitch mode and you don't expect someone to go existential, but <laughs> given the show you guys make, yeah, I, mean, I probably yeah, should expect it. Yeah. I will yeah. also say that we do feel like, um, I, well, I can speak for myself in this is that, you know, uh, 
I don't hear a lot of working moms talking about this kind of work. And it, 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 I, I sort of like, I'm very proud of the fact that we're a married couple with a kid that are, is doing this kind of work. Um, I think it influences our work. And certainly Gatto has profoundly put me on a path that I couldn't be happier that I'm on. Nice. But I hope you feel the same, Jeff. Well, I mean, I can't top that. <laughs> <laughs> top that. Um, it has not changed my life quite to that extent. Um, I'm still at the same job because I love it. Um, but uh, and it's you great get to work on some cool projects. We do get to work on some cool really projects. Cool projects. Um, uh, I love it. It's super fun. It's uh, I, I always need something creative, uh, even though a lot of my job is creative. Um, I always need something else to do. Um, and sometimes it's, it's a lot and it's exhausting, um, but it's always fulfilling. Um, especially, uh, you know, for, for Gatto, uh, you know, being at the back of the theater, watching everyone, you know, pull their hair out with some of those puzzles and laugh and scream and yell and dance and, you know, flail about it's, it's take a lot of pleasure in that. (laughs) I would, I mean, and then coming up with new stuff too, it's, and I know your like day to day life hasn't changed since the show, but I would say like our life together has changed in that like we're doing a lot of kitchen table creativity in a way that we weren't before. We yeah. had our various projects that we shared with each other, but now instead of putting together like a puzzle or doing paint by numbers, we're putting together a puzzle and, and painting by the numbers. It didn't work, Jeff. Didn't, didn't, okay. didn't land. Nope, didn't nope, land. Didn't land. Of course. That's that's the improv way, though. Not everything works. <laughs> Moving on. No one takes the offer. Next scene. So, <laughs> um, but there are, but there is actually there's there is another project. Oh yeah. Yeah. There's a couple. Yeah, and there's one that's active right now. Yes. Speaking of children. Yes. Andy. Uh, sure. Uh, we. This was it was, it was a. Uh, Offer we got from people that came to see Gatto. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I, I, and I think I'm telling this story right. So um, Nina Silver from Skirball Center, from Noah's Ark at Skirball, came to see uh, Escape from Gatto because she was looking for immersive theater pieces and artists because they wanted to bring an immersive theater element to the Ark. Um and then when she got there, she realized we already knew each other, but I had gotten married and we hadn't talked to each other in a long time. And she was like, oh, it's you, Andy Goldblatt. You are now Andy Crocker. And so she knew me as a director. It was super fun to reconnect after the show. Um, they loved the show and they commissioned us to create a piece for their exhibit. They asked us to pitch a couple things. So oh, yeah. I forgot about an entire chapter. Of this <coughs> yes. So we actually came up with a handful of pitches for them. And they chose the one that we ended up developing, uh, which is a wordless clowning puzzle adventure in Noah's Ark. With a puppet. With a puppet. Easy peasy. What did we do and why did we do it? No. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, For all ages. Did you say for all ages? For all ages. And yeah, again, wordless so that, you know, people of all linguistic capabilities can tend to do So it not only is silent, but it is wordless. There's no reading. There's no letters. All the combinations and puzzles are completely visual. Um, They wanted something that was really super accessible. Um, and we wanted a challenge (laughs) and you were like, Hey, you know how like 
in escape games and puzzles, you really want to have control over all the elements so you can really direct people's attention. What if we put a puzzle, performance-based puzzle play in an extremely, the Yiddish word would be ungekakted, <laughs> just like stuff everywhere. And then also children and babies that are totally uncontrollable. And then also their parents. What if you did a puzzle and there's like drums and sound effects and there's just puppets that just like live on the walls. It's so much distraction. And then they're like, and then put a puzzle in there. Noah, have you been to Noah's Ark? I have not been to Noah's Ark. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's so cool. We went there on a date long before we had kids. Yes. Kids? <laughs> There's only one. Jeff, I have something to tell you. Oh, gosh. <laughs> no. Nope. Whoa. Nope. Um, you but should we go. Want to, we want to break news on the podcast, <laughs> but like, not that kind of news. Andy and Jeff have a mystery child. No. Um, you should go. It's so cool. In that sense, we were very... Do I get a discount with my name? Uh, yes, oh. every you know, Noah. I gets tried it. that. There's, there's the Crocker Club, which is downtown. Yeah, uh, they and would not the think. very first time I went there, I showed him my ID at the 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 guy at the door, and I was just like, eh, eh, eh. Showed him my ID. He's like, great, go on in. I was like, no, no, no. But, but did you see? He's like, cool, go on in. It's <laughs> like that's not the right reaction. <laughs> um, uh, it is incredible. It is not religious. That's the one thing. Because if you Google Noah's Ark Museum, you will get a lot oh, of things lots that of things. are lots of things. not that. Yes. But just, that's why you Google Skirball. Yes. Noah's Ark. It's really and, about second chances and uh, recycling and survival and all these other themes that they weave together in a completely interactive, very immersive environment. And just... Gorgeously designed. Just gorgeously gorgeously designed. designed. And there's like a narrative. If you walk through in the order, if you just walk through and experience it linearly Mm -hmm. from the entrance to the end, it tells a story. It's stunning. Okay. It's. And it's like, it's made for kids and their families and like everything's durable and kids run wild in there which is wonderful to see and there's all sorts of things to do like Andy's saying like puppets and toys and you games you can touch and every sculpture um there are you could you like pull on a rope and then a puppet across the room a giant puppet will move oh wow it's and everything is made out of repurposed materials yeah. so if you look at a flamingo you twice you first you see a flamingo and then you realize it's like a handbag and a cane and a shoehorn it's Bananas. Oh, that's fantastic. A perfect place for a silent puzzle <laughs> piece <laughs> that involves focus and problem solving. But they, uh, Nina has been trying to get more performance-based stuff in there to activate, you know, all the families that come in there. And they always have drum circles and storytelling and other puppet shows like Halibu and the Dragonstone. Stone, mm-hmm. Halibu and the Dragonstone, which is awesome. If they do it again, are we doing it again? I'm going to do it every Wednesday until they stop. It's so mm. cool. Um, and we're honored to be asked to partake in that because it's such a it's such a great place in Los Angeles for families to come to. And yes, we set ourselves up with a large challenge. And I, I will tell you from my perspective, on the day we opened, we did like a we did a, a dry run right before the first performance and the dry, the dry run ended up having a lot more uh, like random kids in there that, that playing along. And I got very teary because all these kids just like they came right over and they got involved right away. And 
a lot of the stuff that, you know, we had been play testing and working with, you know, fine tuning everything every single time we did it. And there's just, uh, there was at least one, one little girl that just it, everything clicked and she said everything out loud that we intended. And it was just oh, like, wow. it was mind blowing. It was so cool well, to have kids do it. Cause they articulate things differently than watching an adult do an escape room. Like you, they are literally like just narrating all of the thoughts in her brain. Yeah. And she had a, uh, a chipmunk puppet that she had pulled off the puppet wall that was playing with her. <laughs> yeah, right. And oh then she God. had solved this one puzzle and then she went, I think she was doing the voice of the chipmunk. It was just like, I'm a very smart chipmunk. Like as she was. Yeah, it, it was, was amazing. Bananas. Oh my goodness. And, and to be fair, like because of how broad the audience base is at the Skirball, like not every show that's done is like that. Like, it's a lot of different people, a lot of different age groups and, and some, but there were a couple that we've seen where the parents do play along and there are a couple that they don't. And, and th- we've had some also that's like all adults too. Yeah. yeah. Like there are plenty of, cause the museum itself is more than just the, the right. Ozark exhibit. So there were some dudes that clearly came from the Kubrick exhibit that were just like, what's this? <laughs> like had a great time. Yeah. They were just like two cool dudes playing in a kid's museum. Wait, it is, was it, great. is the Kubrick thing there right now? Or? Yes. I think it's still there. I think it's oh, still there. Like the one, the one that was at, Oh no, it's oh, a different it's one. It's not the lack of oh, Kubrick. Okay. This okay. is a like the photographs of Stanley. Oh Kubrick. okay, okay. Still, still cool. It's oh, very cool. Still, very cool. And, the, and it was just fun. Like I was like, no, I know where you guys came from. <laughs> you came from the Kubrick exhibit. Uh, so yeah, t- and it has been truly an all ages experience and uh, super fun. And Kids rewarding. Kids are so weird. The the, the <laughs> Skirball, uh, the staff at Noah's Ark that Nina runs. It's a lot of people from. Is it Rogue? Yes. Artists? Uh-huh. Ensemble? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. All three. <laughs> uh, Rogue Artists Ensemble. So they have a lot of theater trained people already part of their educator staff. Oh, fantastic. So a lot of the the people on the floor working with the kids. You are know, secretly Rogue Artists are Ensemble Are secretly people. Rogue Artists Ensemble. Oh my God. Because there's so much puppeteering there. So they, yeah. and, and uh, our two, it's a two person cast uh, and uh, one was a, a dancer and one was a visual artist and they worked together to create this clowning piece with the support of Noah's Ark and it was just such an exciting thing to see. And here is where we should talk about Lisa Bierman. <gasps> the show could not have happened without the amazing talents of Lisa Bierman, who probably is listening. Hi, Lisa. Uh, Lisa Bierman was my co-director on the piece. She is an incredible clown and an incredible incredibly gifted teacher of clown and performance um if any la-based creators out there are like i wish all my performers knew how to do amazing clowning you should hire lisa bierman um she really the silent storytelling of the piece would not have happened without her Mm -hmm. she really crafted um the pathos and made it uh that made the performance and the puzzles play with each other in a really beautiful way. So I have to give her all that credit. And this piece runs once a week, right? Is that how it works? Like Friday, every Friday? <coughs> Friday is at 3.40. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect time for kids? Perfect time for kids? Perfect time yeah. for kids. Um, You know, not the best time to be on the West Side if you're not already <laughs> on the West Side. <laughs> but I don't want that to be a deterrent. You know, just... just Head over there early, stick around, catch the rest of the museum until it closes. Take, you know, drive a couple blocks, go to little Osaka nearby on Sautel. Get, get the some, best yeah. food ever. Get some good food. Get some fantastic spots around there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. 
you know, or, to, yes. or decide to take Mulholland back, yeah, you know, just, take just the to scenic be, route, to, to, so you can that, yeah. remember all the good times you saw of kids and puppets. Yeah, uh, yeah. Every Friday at three forty at the Skirball Cultural Center, and you buy a ticket for Noah's Ark specifically. Yes, and then uh, you can see the show. Awesome. Anything else on, on the immediate horizon other than the the remount at the at the summit? I mean, that's the thing we're really. Scared. That's what everybody's talking about. <laughs> You know, don't <laughs> I feel bad talking about it as it is. It's like, ah, no, we want, we're really yeah. excited about it. Um, and a little nervous also to like put it up in front of like all the people. those people. Yeah. Like I, I think I haven't yet had a recurring nightmare where Risa Puno sees it and doesn't like it. Um, but, <laughs> but we can uh, make that happen. But I you. will, <laughs> I will have that nightmare. Um, no, we're super excited to have like our, Heroes and crushes and your peers, uh, the peers. community, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I like <laughs> you're like they're peers. I'm like <laughs> I love them all. <laughs> Be my friend. <laughs> no, I'm, I mean I'm really excited about getting to bring people in from out of town uh, to see, you know, the work that happens here. Um, and um, I'm hoping, I'm, and I'm so glad you guys uh, consented to like go along with this crazy plan. Yeah, and I think right now, well, we'll, we'll talk about stuff, but. Um, yeah, I, I just want to make sure, Andy. We need to remember to jack the prices of the Airbnb for that weekend. Yeah. So oh yeah. Be coming into town. <laughs> yep. Need to make some cash. <laughs> All right. Sweet. Sweet. Just just stock it with uh, some of Jim's colas. So oh. Jim yeah. Some oh yeah. yeah. Deep you know, cut. No, yeah. Nice. No. Uh, I know. Hot I dog sodas. This yeah. episode brought to you hot by hot dog sodas. Um, Jim is in the show. Um. So yeah, uh, I'm I'm thankful for you guys for oh, for doing that. Thanks for asking us. Um, anything else? Well, yeah, but anything else uh, that that's 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 talk. The short answer is yes. Things in planning stages. Yeah, yeah. exactly. There's yeah. there's we're, we we want to work on a show for 2020. We are working on a show for 2020. Yeah, a show a year. Yeah, that's great. When in 2020? Not totally sure, but mm. yeah, we got a little thing going. We that's got a great. little thing going. And it's been, and now that we kind of have this, like, oh, we've done a show a year since we started this. Like, okay, that seems like a good pace. Yeah. For two busy folk. Yeah. It's not bad. Anything else I'm forgetting that we're up to? I don't think so. Raising a well, child. Well, that secret child yeah. I referred to <laughs> oh, that, Yeah, you keep shutting off the thing now. <laughs> um, well, thank you both. And thank um, you. How do how do folks uh, hunt your work down? What's the what's the URL type scenario? Uh, www.misterandmischief.fun. Yeah, that's right. We got that dot fun. <laughs> when we saw it was available, we couldn't not take it. Yep. Misterandmischief.fun. Yep. Uh, Mr. Mischief on Instagram is sort of where our social life is. We have a Facebook thing. We do? Yeah. Just not on Facebook, but I am. Okay. So we're on Facebook. Uh, I I lurk on the slacks. I really like the slacks. The slacks are fun. Um, the uh, escape room slack and uh, the no proscenium slack. I really like. Yeah, there's there's some good chaos there. So yeah. Well, thank you both. Thank and, you. And uh, I'll be seeing a lot more of you soon. Yeah. All right. Don't threaten us. <laughs> Once again, I want to thank Andy and Jeff for being on the podcast. Uh, I, I, we had so much fun that I spent like another hour and a half talking to them afterwards. Um, I was like the other house for like three hours. Um, and uh, actually, like we were staying in the kitchen and like about five minutes after we like shut down the tape recorder, tape, the audio recorder, digital recorder, oh, whatever, I'm old. Um, 
Andy was like, we didn't talk about any of the shows we liked. Oh, no. And she like felt super guilty. Uh, so we'll have them back on and it'll be uh, I'll force them to talk about nothing but everyone else but themselves uh, and how much uh, how much they love what's going on uh, with um, all things immersive here in town. Um, again, I'm I'm just I'm glad you got to hear them. I'm I'm stoked for those who get to check out uh, Escape. Uh, it's It's not the only thing that's going on. Uh, at the pilot festival. Let me explain some more. Uh, also, like, why are we calling it a pilot festival? So here we go. Pre-behind-the-scenes breakdown for those of you who are coming to the summit. So um, we have set things up so that we have a number of uh, productions which are going to be taking place on campus on Friday night after the summit programming and Saturday day alongside the keynotes and panels that'll be happening in the main space. Uh, so like Friday, it's going to be uh, similar to previous events of ours where we're going to be in multiple spaces, panels, workshops, salons, uh, kind of moving about. The, the schedule's a lot different from the way IDS was. Well, not a lot different, but it's, it's, it's different in significant ways from the way IDS was in terms of how the layout is. Most of that's just because of the scheduled Jenga of having... 300 attendees um like paid attendees and then like guests and whatnot so um we're going to be running the the large what i'm what I've been referring to as the main entrees or the chunky pieces of, of immersive shows uh which include uh escape and include corn and wicks casting and and just so we know like with chunky you know what we're aiming for here is either a, a long experience um that uh, for like a group or um, or just something significant, like more more than like 10 minutes, because we also have some one on ones that are going to be under 10 minutes, which are taking place in the dressing rooms of the Pasadena Playhouse. Uh, and those are some original works that we've uh, gotten creators, some of whom we've already announced, like Candlehouse Collective and Kate Lane uh, are coming in and Shimon Laughlin. Uh, and doing original works popping up in those spaces, and they're going to be working on rotations. The way this is going to work is that all three-day badge holders are, well, and there's one more component, the off-site stuff. We've also got a few select folks uh, like Stash House who are yielding us up slots that are exclusive to badge holders, uh, and they can elect to do those as their official festival selection. So that means instead of seeing something on campus, you would say, I'm an escape room aficionado. I want to take this opportunity to go check out Stash House. Uh, there's going to be a couple of productions uh, that are off-site. Um, and it's really about you saying, this is what I'm into um, and going to check that out. There'll also be the opportunity for people to buy their own tickets to those events. Uh, and we'll have some exclusive ticket windows for those for badge holders only. Um, so that if someone wants to like, you know, catch more than one thing, they can do that. Um, a lot of this just comes down to throughput and, um, and just budget. We are, like I said, calling this a pilot festival. Um, so everyone's going to get one main course, <laughs> chunky piece, uh, and one, um, micro experience like the under 10 minute uh or like your side so you pick a main pick a side and the cornbread's for free now i want to get everybody cornbread um no i, I just want to get myself cornbread a very specific cornbread maybe i'll get it later um 
do I wish that people could just like catch everything? Oh my God. Yes. Uh, we just don't have the material for that right now. Indeed, kind of the whole point of the pilot festival is to make the case that we should have a festival uh, and that we need sponsors and uh, big patrons and just the, the financial support to really pull this off. So this is bootstrapped. This is scrappy. Uh, I think the entire budget for the whole thing, um, if I if I count uh, the um, I mean, if I count the, the, the part of the rental uh, on uh, uh, the Playhouse, uh, I think we're spending like $15,000 total to like pull this thing together, which is absolutely nothing uh, and is a fraction of the budget of the summit as a whole. So um, we had aspirations to do a lot more this year uh, and uh, uh, the big sponsors this year have not been, you know, playing. We are very grateful for the sponsors that we do have, and there's folks who are stepping up to the plate, and there are folks who are coming back um, uh, from from previous events that we've been a part of. Um, but there's also folks who are at least temporarily out of the game, and it's impacted our ability to go big this year. So um, uh, it's it's I don't want to. <laughs> I'm starting to think about that. I'm like, no, I'm getting depressed, and I don't want to be because. We've got so much. But anyway, here's how remember, here's how it's gonna work. Uh at the end of February, beginning of March, uh, preferably the end of February, because it's gonna take some time, all badge holders are going to get a little survey. And that survey is going to ask them the following. It's going to ask them which uh shows, which big shows they're interested in, uh, and to rank them, which uh artists they're interested in seeing in the uh in the one-on-ones and rank them, which uh, workshops they're interested in participating in and rank them. It's going to, it's going to ask them what shows of that have been out, uh, that they've seen. So if someone has seen escape from Gatto, I don't want to like assign you a ticket to go see it again. Like what would be the point of that? Um, and it's going to ask, you know, for people who are coming in from out of town, uh, what day you're arriving, uh, so that we know <coughs> if you're going to be around Thursday night, because some of the offsite stuff is going to be available on Thursday. Then I take this into the magical computer we have called my brain, and we are going to, <laughs> I'm laughing because I'm already dreading this task, we're going to try to craft the best schedule for everybody. Uh, we're going to try to make sure that everyone gets, if not their top pick overall, because we're also going to ask people like, hey, of the workshops and everything, like pick the thing that you're most excited about seeing, and then what's the next thing across all of it. We'll try to get people to their first choices uh if we can with 300 people we are not gonna succeed like i'm just like mm. it's gonna be some like episode 9 jj abrams level it's like look i'm not gonna please everybody uh but don't worry there are certain things i won't do um because i understand you gotta give everybody at least a little bit of fan service so we're gonna do what we can to make sure that folks get a good experience because we're a summit and festival about experience design, and we would be ridiculous not to, to at least aspire to that. So we'll do everything we can to get folks at least one of their first choices. Um, and inevitably, we'll probably fail with someone. Um, just so you know, if uh, there are folks who are not going to arrive till Saturday on a, on, on a three-day badge, which does get you the art, 
um, we may not be able to accommodate your choices just because of the sheer logistics of it all. So, um, you know, that's, that's unfortunate, but it's just logistically going to be too much of a nightmare. Uh, we're already freezing, you know, Thursday's already going to be, you know, a thing. So that's what we're doing with all of that. Uh, making it optimal uh, because again the festival as exciting as it is and as much as this is this is something that I've been striving towards this is just the pilot this is just proof of concept this is just making the case that we need something um, and that we're going to need support for it and hopefully the people who we are inviting the folks who we're reaching out to in the entertainment industry and beyond and the press that we're courting are going to come through they're going to see they're going to say wow there's a lot of potential here and that's going to help us build the case to do this for real and to have a big ass festival next year okay that's what's up that's the vision that's where we're headed and uh, for the first time in a while, I am pretty happy about what we've been doing uh, as things click together. It's this this stuff. Um, anyone who produces knows. Oof, there's always setbacks and this, that, the other thing, and you know everything's swimming along, and then you get an email, and like a bunch of stuff gets set back. And uh, I put more gray into my beard in the past three years than I've done in all of my life. So. Uh, uh, and people say, well, it gets easier. No, it's every year <laughs> you get the challenges no matter what. Um, but uh, I am so very happy about what we put together on the festival side and on the summit side as well. Um, I'm so excited about what we're going to be dropping uh, today. And if it comes in too late, we're going to be some stuff we might be dropping on Monday. Um, this is really every year uh, the, the, the two IDSs uh, and now this. They're just this incredible moments of bringing the community together. And uh, I really hope that every, well, mathematically it's impossible, but I hope a significant chunk of the people who are listening to this podcast that I will get a chance to see them um, there. I know it's uh, it's not cheap. Uh, I know it's, it's a lot, um, but when it comes down to it, I do believe it is worth every penny uh all right on that note um let's do the things we normally do uh, i again forgot to mention the sustaining backers at the top of the show which sucks uh, uh particularly because they make all this possible so shout out to the sustaining backers for no percentium that's mark baltazar jan budman paul f lonnie hansen ari hurston sam kidkin sydney guillory and jeremy charles hahn and we'll have a brand new one coming at the top of the month um I really should remember to do it at the top. Twice in a row, I haven't done it. Uh, no good on my part there. The music for No Persinium is by Chris Porter of the Speakeasy Society. You can find everything we do at nopersinium.com. We are at No Persinium on Facebook and Twitter, at no underscore persinium on Instagram. The executive editor of No Persinium is Catherine Yu, and she's also our primary voice on the socials. I am your host and publisher, Noah Nelson. And until next time, I'll see you at the show. 